This is My Child Will Thrive, and I'm your host, Tara Hunkin, nutritional therapy practitioner, certified GAPS practitioner, restorative wellness practitioner, and mother. I'm thrilled to share with you the latest information, tips, resources, and tools to help you on the path to recovery for your child with ADHD, autism, sensory processing disorder, or learning disabilities. My own experiences with my daughter, combined with as much training as I can get my hands on, research I can dig into, and conferences I can attend, have helped me to develop systems and tools for parents like you who feel overwhelmed trying to help their children. So sit back as I share another great topic to help you on your journey. A quick disclaimer before we get started. My Child Will Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare practitioner. The information provided on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat your child. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before implementing any information or treatments that you have learned about on this podcast. There are many gifted, passionate, and knowledgeable practitioners with hundreds if not thousands of hours of study and clinical experience available to help guide you. Part of our goal is to give you the knowledge and tools you need to effectively advocate for your child so that you don't blindly implement each new treatment that comes along. No one knows your child better than you. No one knows your child's history like you do or can better judge what is normal or abnormal for your child. The greatest success in recovery comes from the parent being informed and asking the right questions and making the best decisions for their child in coordination with a team of qualified practitioners in different areas of specialty. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Autism, ADHD, and Sensory Processing Disorder Summit. In order to learn more about the summit and to sign up for free, please go to www.mychildwillthrive.com Hi, everyone. I want to welcome you back to the My Child Will Thrive podcast. I'm Tara Hunkin, and I am excited to have with me today Kelly Meehan for another episode of the Parent Perspective. This is the uh, time that we talk to other parents that have gone through challenges with their children so we can learn from each other's stories um, and also see where there might be opportunities for us to learn from what other people have been through. We like to talk to a lot of experts on the podcast. Often parents that have gone through this with their children become experts in their own right, both from just learning on the go and then some even formalize their education and move on to become practitioners as well. Kelly, who is here with me today, is a wife and a busy mom of three. She has a bachelor's in human nutrition from Arizona State University and a doctorate in optometry from the Illinois College of Optometry. She completed a residency in primary care with the emphasis in pediatrics at Nova Southeastern University, and she most recently became an integrative health practitioner in 2021 and is looking forward to helping transform other people's lives with her work. So Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today about your journey, how you got to where you are today. Why don't we just start right there? What was life like for you and your, well, you've, you just, as you just mentioned to me, two daughters that you've had affected by changes in their diets, but let's just start from the very beginning. What were you noticing um, early on with your child? 
Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me here. I'm just um, very passionate about sharing this story. Um, you know, my daughter was um, born, very normal situation, um, C-section. We didn't really notice anything out of the norm until um, when she was about two and a half. It was almost like a switch flipped is the only way that I can explain it. And very... Um, emotional dysregulation, lots of sensory stuff. From the outside, everything looked pretty normal, but I just, as a mom, could tell things, just something just seemed a little bit off. Um, and she would complain that her legs hurt all the time. So riding like a bike, even just very short periods of time, she would say, my legs hurt, my legs are so sore. And uh, sleep started to become disrupted, which had been very normal before. But it was nothing huge, nothing that was like red flags going off. And people would just say like, oh, she's just two and a half. She's a toddler. She's three years old hitting that, that stage. Emotions are big. I'd mention it to the pediatrician and they'd say kids get growing pains was the story, just kind of back and forth. And this really went on for a year and a half. Um, and symptoms did seem to get bigger and bigger, but again, it was nothing that was life altering. Anyone was, okay, we needed to test and, and figure that out. It was just, um, she's a toddler with big, with big emotions. Um, and at about four years old, she, um, I had my son. So I had my third child and the teachers were starting to tell me like, she's just a little bit more clingy. Well, of course, everyone associated that with me just having an, a new baby. Um, mm -hmm. And so that would be like a typical scenario, but the headaches started to increase and the teachers would say like, she needs to go to the bathroom, um, but she doesn't seem sick, but they'd have to like walk her back and forth. And that was kind of the beginning of like, okay, something maybe more is going on here. And then that summer, was she basically stopped eating, began losing a ton of weight, was getting, now I know what were migraines. So she was trying to explain to me um, headaches, stomach aches, and the joint pain had become just more than it should. And so I went to the pediatrician and I just was like flat out, something is wrong with my child. And again, I got the, well, kids have stomach aches and, and growing pains. Her blood work looks normal. If it's still going on in three to six months, like come back. And I had had it. Um, my mom got intuition, knew something was wrong. So I went um, to our naturopath. Again, something is wrong with my child. And within 48 hours, she came back and said, your daughter is celiac and she needs to be off gluten immediately. And at the time, I was like, okay, I, I knew enough to know like celiac was gluten-free. And that was kind of the end of it. Like go gluten-free. I went back to the pediatrician, told them. And of course, she said to me, I'll never forget, bringing me notes from your naturopath is like bringing me notes from your spiritual healer. And it was blood work that I was bringing. And so, of course, my at that moment is when I realized this doctor doesn't care about my child at all and cares more about it, if she ran the appropriate test or not. So, of course, she re-ran testing knowing what the blood work that I had. And, of course, the celiac was confirmed, sent on to the GI, who her numbers were so high. Um, for celiac, typically you have to have a scope to, to confirm diagnosis. But her numbers were so off the charts that he was like, this isn't even, it's not necessary. So, of course, and he says, go gluten-free and handed me like a packet of information. And I said, okay, I, I know enough. I've been in this world a little bit. I, I can do this. Well, if anyone who has a celiac child knows that going gluten-free is just the tip of the iceberg. Gluten, what they don't tell you is gluten is in spices and ice cream and drinks and things that you would never dream. And there's just not a lot of education that goes on in there. I do think other people have heard of better experiences with dietitians and things. Um, we did not have that experience. 
So there's a very steep learning curve in that, uh, both emotionally and physically. Uh, what I also wasn't told was the effect that gluten has on the brain. And that for some kids who have that response, taking gluten out of their diet actually causes a huge withdrawal response. What I wasn't expecting is I was like, okay, we're going to get off gluten and things are going to be hundred percent better. That two to three weeks that we went off gluten was probably the hardest three weeks of our entire journey. She was completely constipated, like um, as in go to the hospital, completely compacted and full. The anxiety and depression, um, I would never think you to even explain how to identify that in a, a four and a half year old, but immediate depression. And it just was this huge decline. And so I did more and more research and starting to talk to other people to realize, oh, this is an actual thing. So then it got me thinking, so the ADHD we've experiencing, the lack of focus, the brain fog, her teacher's telling me maybe there's some visual processing issues in the end, all ended up being linked to gluten. Um, and to this day, you know, we're four and a half years out now, almost five years. And all the things that I was told she struggled with early on, like she has trouble taking things in sequence, instructions in sequence that were just, you know, some people would just kind of mind throw off, but we're a big deal and difficult for her to progress in school. She was definitely having trouble in those areas, specifically with, with reading and math and the instructions and sequence and just getting gluten out of her diet. We have done a lot of healing since then, you know, now she's almost a black belt in Taekwondo and does forms that are 30, a 30 length sequence, you know, of these forms. So just an example. And I just have such a passion for letting parents know in that same scenario, the effect that gluten has, you know, we always think of stomach and digestive issues, but the effect that it has on the brain are, is massive. And just research that I was just actually reading about a few months ago that we now know that it's actually affecting, we have research to show that it's affecting the white matter within the brain. And what they don't know is if once you get off a gluten-free diet, if it stabilizes or actually is able to reverse. So the importance of identifying these kids early and getting them on a gluten-free diet immediately is imperative. Any child with an ADHD diagnosis, learning disabilities, like it should be tested for. And if nothing else, a gluten-free diet trialed before medication has started. That's really where my heart is. And all of this is just sharing that um, because with that child and another child who I experienced extreme anxiety all the way through, and then realizing later, once we got out of her diet, what a completely different child is. So just taking gluten out of the diet, I always say it was a blessing out of blessing in disguise for both of my children, because it, our whole family, it gave me back my child, my child, and they were completely different children emotionally than they, than I thought really a blessing. And just kind of to end that story, it actually, I found out a year and a half after my daughter was diagnosed with celiac, that I was actually celiac. And although I'd been out in and out of the endocrinologist for thyroid issues and graves, no one had tested me for it. It began my, my own healing journey. Since then, we're just on this path, taking gluten out of the diet. And then the process of gut healing, which is really a lack of education there as well. Where do you go? One, that's only the tip of the iceberg and the beginning. And so that's, I ended up switching careers actually to uh, now be a part of that. Yeah. So let's like talk about all those things in terms of the story is something that I've heard before in terms of all the unusual symptoms you know, there are, as you said, lots of digestive symptoms that people usually talk about with respect to celiac, but the ones that are lesser talked about are, are those brain ones. And I have, I know of people that have talked about 
just extreme behavioral challenges with their children going away with just the removal of glycerin because they were celiac or severely sensitive. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges these days is that unless there's that diagnosis of celiac, gluten sensitivity itself is not taken as seriously, even though people are at least aware of it, but it's not taken as seriously. And the reality is for those people that are sensitive, it is just important to a hundred percent eradicate gluten from their diet as it is for a celiac too. It may not be in an autoimmune condition at that point in time, but they're, they're seeing the same things. Is that what you've noticed as well with your two children? Yes, absolutely. So although we know with celiac, it's actually damaging the small intestine, but someone with, you know, severe non-celiac gluten sensitivity actually experiences the same symptoms, just not the damage that's happening in the small intestine. So the anxiety, the brain fog, the learning difficulties, the headaches, all of it still come with just a gluten sensitivity. Uh, and you're right. There's just, there's really a lack of education. It's a, it's a difficult diagnosis as it's a, a diagnosis of exclusion. And so it's just, it's work and progress to, to figure it out on the physician side, as well as on the patient side. And I think because of that, there's just a lack of honestly, people wanting to walk that path and to hand out a medication or to take a medication is, is a lot easier and faster, especially as parents. When we have children that are really dysregulated, that can be it's a hard path to, to walk and it takes time. I and mean, I think it's one of the reasons. Yeah. And I think the reason for these conversations is, is because this is very important to think about. I mean, kids with neurodevelopmental challenges, it can happen straight from birth or can happen in early stages. And it continues to, on that trajectory unless there's intervention. In your case, from what you were saying is that it's almost as if when the autoimmune event or the, the celiac got to a, a heightened state, her symptoms kept on increasing and were presenting like a neurodevelopmental challenge. But once the gluten was removed, those symptoms of what would have been labeled ADHD or sensory processing or the sequencing is often something that dyslexia, dyspraxia, that sequencing and executive functioning are all symptoms of neurodevelopmental challenges. But what's so fascinating about what you're talking about is that that removal actually took away the symptoms fairly quickly. Yes. Within, within months, once we got past that hurdle of the withdrawal and the anxiety for my one daughter was gone almost instantly. And to this day, if she gets a little bit of gluten on accident or cross contact, uh, we know immediately by the emotion, the, by the responses. Um, yeah. from both of them um, in different ways, actually. And that's kind of the tricky thing about gluten sensitivity is the, I can't remember the number, but I think it's up to like over a hundred different symptoms and mm-hmm. it's different. So bio-individual. So it's very difficult to say, you know, it's just digestive or anxiety specifically um, because it is so different, which makes it even more difficult. I think that's, I mean, this is why it is so challenging for parents to get while the, the supports they need, the attention they need, because it is so individual. And I think that's why these conversations are so important because what may look like one thing can be something completely different in terms of what the root cause is of it. And if we all do the same thing, it's not going to get us the same result. You talk about the healing journey. So removing gluten, obviously being essential in a a child that has celiac or a gluten sensitivity, what other healing and what other things did you need to do to optimize their health and in turn their brain health? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, just 
opening up the drainage pathways because um, with a child that has that level of inflammation specifically in our case, yes, gluten was a huge part of it. But when you have that much inflammation going on, you're bringing in inflammation from all kinds of other areas as well. And just the extreme constipation that we were experiencing. So uh, just getting the bowels moving, working a ton on drainage, a lot on the liver, um, just getting those optimized so that the body was just free flowing, able to get those toxins out and then moving into uh, parasites from there. We're a big part of that healing process for us, figuring out other food sensitivities at that point, uh, working through those and uh, really just decreasing the inflammation as much as possible, keeping the drainage flowing, I'd say was at least a year um, or longer of just working on really those foundations and then stepping into some of the other things like parasites and heavy metals and the whole roadmap that goes along, goes along with that, but really just focusing on the foundations. And with that is when I, we saw a huge change in what was going on within the brain, um, as well, because as we were, of course, getting those toxins out and the body was actually able to restore and repair, then I was able to see the brain start healing as well. And a lot of the executive functioning that was a problem before definitely took a turn there. We were able to see a positive impact from that. Yeah. So uh, when you were doing all those things at that time, had you done the training that you were doing or were you working with other practitioners? No, I wasn't. And to be honest, a lot of it was just my own personal research at that point. I am an optometrist by, by training and I was still working as an optometrist and worked in the vision therapy world. So the executive functioning was a lot part of what I did. So I had a lot of knowledge base there. And then I guess my background was also in nutrition, grew up in a very nutrition-based household. So I really was just working through, I mean, you know, the naturopath did help navigate me um, on diet and a little bit more of the intricacies of, of celiac and the, the cross contact and how to, to feed her appropriately. Um, but as far as the parasites and all that, I then began working with another integrative health practitioner. Um, and that's what really opened my eyes to what that world was and what, and what that looked like. Um, so much so that I just couldn't help but think about all the kids that I saw as an optometrist who were coming to me because they were struggling in school. And of course, the first thing you do is go get a, go get an eye exam and their eyes would be fine. Their eye exam would check out. And then knowing what I now knew about my children, my children and their diet, I couldn't help but think, but there's this piece here and I'm not allowed within my scope to, to walk that path with them. But I would start sharing that information with parents. And turns out there were actually two or three celiacs that ended up being diagnosed just from our conversations back and forth. Mm-hmm. But just knowing this piece of the puzzle that probably, I mean, to be honest, probably 70, 70 to 80% of those kids that were flowing through my office probably fell into that category. Mm-hmm. Um, and just knowing that needed to needed that information um, and needed someone to know and share. And sorry, I think I sidetracked this conversation, but that's what kind of got me to, to the integrative health. So it wasn't until um, 2021 that I actually went through the training myself um, and then started doing that. And I still have my, my foot in the optometry world as well, because I do, I love it. I'm passionate and passionate about kids and their learning and, and their healing. And I'm hoping someday that the, the two paths will actually connect in some way. And I'm still trying to figure out what exactly that, that looks like. Yeah. So I actually didn't do my training until later. And it was just a lot of personal research for a mm-hmm. few year, years there. If you were to, to advise parents now, when they, when, or if they are diagnosed CLAC or they realize their child may have a gluten sensitivity, what are the steps that you recommend to people to take in order to make that transition? Cause like you said, it was a very difficult transition. It can be difficult for many different reasons. What, what's the advice you give if you were, you had someone in this circumstance that you were advising? 
it can be really overwhelming. So I always tell parents when I talk to them, like, give yourself grace. It's okay. With celiac, of course, you've got to get gluten out right away. When you're dealing with a gluten sensitivity, just start the changeover. Um, it's going to be more, it's more easy for you, more easy for your child to not 100% wake up and completely change their diet, especially if you've got kids, you know, with, with sensory difficulties and are picky eaters anyway. So just all of a sudden say, you're not eating anything you used to eat. And now we're starting new is actually going to be a way more difficult path. Um, so I always say, start with their favorites. If they're eating pancakes in the morning, keep pancakes, try to switch them to gluten-free, take those small steps to just make it very practical and doable for mom and the child or whoever the caretaker is. It's, um, it's too much otherwise. So just take bite-sized pieces and start switching things slowly. If you need help from a, there's lots of actually celiac health coaches who will actually help walk you through from that perspective, meaning like what pots, what things in my kitchen do I need to change over? What pots and pans do I need a new, do I actually need a new toaster? What spices are gluten-free? You know, the, the intricate details of that will come and it is a learning process. So, you know, I'm five years in and there's, I always joke that I have a a master's degree in gluten detection or, or finding it, uh, I'm still learning, uh, you know, what different names of, of words for things and where it can be hiding and, and natural flavors and seasoning. So it's a process, give grace, uh, you, you do what you can, you know, you always do more when you know more and it will come. Yeah. So where would you say is the, one of the most surprising places you've found gluten that you didn't expect it, that parents might overlook? either in food or is it in a, you know, is it in uh, personal care products or is it in medications that sometimes we give our children? Yeah, all of the above. Uh, yeah. We're probably, I've, I've mentioned seasonings a few times and that's because even though we were completely gluten-free and my daughter kept getting sick um, and it was in lemon pepper, it was in the lemon pepper that I was sprinkling on her broccoli and it, the specific brand that I had. And it's not that it's actually in the spice, it's what they add to make it so that it doesn't cake together. The gluten was in there. So that one was probably the most surprising to me. Lemonade, there were certain brands of lemonade that, that had it in there. Ice cream. Most ice creams actually have it popsicles, you know, I'm saying all the unhealthy things, but I think those were, I'd never expected in a popsicle mm -hmm. and neither does anyone else. And that's the tricky thing about even friends and family and teachers who are so sweet and caring and buy something that's gluten-free. That's actually probably the most, a really hard part of the social aspect of the journey is saying, thank you so much for thinking about them. They actually can't have that. Even though it says gluten-free, huge and labeled ac across the box, honey nut Cheerios is a great example. It says, I think it actually says like has a celiac certification or um, gluten-free and those are not safe due to cross uh, contact for most people that with a, with an extreme sensitivity. So that's difficult. It hides in everything. The bath products as well that you mentioned, lip gloss, lipstick, chapstick, all of the, all of the above have been difficult, especially, you know, at birthday parties where there's like lip smackers in particular, I think uh, those are not, are not safe. So that can be surprising. And I think I was surprised at first, could they really affect my child. And this is a little bit of a debate, to be honest, within the gluten world, do topical products. There's many who will say it's not an issue, even if you are celiac or have a strong sensitivity, but with children, you have to remember when you're using shampoo or body wash, it's running over their face. So the, the possibility of that getting on their lips or ingested is actually pre is pretty high. Um, and so we had issues with that, with the shampoo um, that I didn't realize even um, early on, or my daughter even getting a rash from um, a body wash that I, that I didn't realize. So 
um, that is very bio-individual. Not everybody has that strong of a reaction, to be, to be clear, but it's definitely things to think about. In the times that we have needed medication, um, it's been an issue. Um, and actually, for a particular parasite, we needed um, something that actually is, is available over the counter, but that had gluten in it. Um, and then when I went to the pharmacist, getting clarification actually from the pharmacist was extremely difficult because flavorings come from overseas um, or they're compounded in places. They're not 100% sure if the facility is safe. When we have made it, we've had to get it specially um, compounded or I just find an alternative option because it's just, it's not worth the risk. Um, and getting clarification in that world is extre extremely difficult and extremely frustrating because you're going to the people who are supposed to have all of the answers there. Um, it's not necessarily their fault, but it's because we get all of these products from different places and then put them together here in the U.S. Uh, we don't always know what the facilities are like. Yeah, it, it really is amazing all the little nuances. I think the ones that that surprised me the most were, were things like, so a lot of people in this world don't love to give their kids medications, but there are times when they're reliant on things like Advil and the dyes and, or if their, their child has sensory issues and can only chew instead of a swallow a pill or needs to take the liquid and it's in all those colors and flavorings. Like it's, it's just amazing how many places it's found and how challenging this is. And that's why so many people are so resistant to have to even try to do that because it is such a difficult thing to do. I mean, it's great that there's a lot more resources out there now to, uh, to go gluten-free, but it still is um, a big step for pretty much everybody. Did you in your household choose to go gluten-free the entire household or have you just done it with the kids that are impacted? That's a great question. Uh, we did mostly because I was struggling with gluten myself and I was the one preparing the food. So I didn't want to touch it myself in, in preparing and knowing that the health benefits that come from it anyways, for most people. So it was easier for me and more doable to just transform my whole house. From my perspective, I have a set of pans I used for gluten and a set of pans that I didn't, the possibility of myself, even as a busy mom, three young kids, messing that up, using the wrong pan, grabbing the wrong spoon was way too high. Um, and she, we had just been through so much and she was so ill that the, I'll be honest, the guilt of me glutening her myself, which will absolutely will happen. I will say as a mom, and that's why I say, give yourself grace. It, it's going to happen more than once, a few times a year, even potentially you just give yourself grace, but yes, it, it was much easier for us to go. And I usually recommend to my clients, even if um, that is a possibility for you, or you think that the majority of your household will benefit, it's, it's less work, uh, less mm -hmm. work for mom in my, from my standpoint. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's also with young kids, especially, you know, it, it's hard enough for them to go to other places and have to not participate in the things that are around them and having to send their own things and do all that. That's all difficult. And, and it's now you can navigate it, but it's difficult. It's twice as hard if it's in the house. So just even if you weren't worried about the cross contamination, it's just other people eating different things that, you, you know, one child might may have wanted if they, if they could have it. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of that. You mentioned getting gluten, which is a term I'm quite familiar with. <laughs> so, but first of all, what, let's just explain to those that may not know what that, that, that term or sort of reference is, and then what steps you take when that actually happens to mitigate the impact of getting exposure to gluten. 
So getting gluten basically just means we have come into contact with gluten on some level. So sometimes it could just be from uh, cross contact. So we potentially ate something that was produced in a facility with wheat or on the same line, production lines, I should say. Um, so that will have one type of an effect. Um, and then in, of course, ingesting gluten, eating something that unknowingly had gluten uh, will usually give a more severe effect. So what that looks like, again, is different for each person. It's actually different for each person in my household, even. Um, but for um, my one daughter, what I'll notice is immediate brain fog. And when I say brain fog, I mean, like, severe, what I can't think through, cannot process. Like, think of a math problem, very difficult to put the, the pieces of that together. Um, and very pale skin uh, for her. So I'll see kind of like the color drain. Um, that's usually my tip off the color drain, the dark circles under the eyes. And what's interesting is that's not always immediate. So it's not like she, if we get cross contact, that's in within two or three hours. It's actually honestly not sometimes until 24 hours until the next day, which can make it a little bit difficult from an investigative process of figuring out what it was, what was the thing that uh, tipped it over the edge, what I think is some of the, the most maddening part as a mom, because you want to be sure not to repeat that. Um, and so we kind of backtrack the day, but the brain fog and the inability just to think through usually a migraine or a headache might show up. Um, and usually the digestive process or the digestive issues are actually the thing that come last. So it's not actually the first thing to show up, at least for us, that rings pretty true. And then usually a, a level of anxiety and just kind of low mood, I would say, just a very blah and an inability to very touchy fly off the handle, those little tantrums that you see kind of as a toddler, or send your child over the edge, the things that really shouldn't, I noticed that right away. And so I think to myself, we got, we got gluten somehow and you work through it. So for us, we have a few supplements that we use. I love, is it okay for me to so the intestament, uh, by brain child nutritionals, uh, amazing. I try to do that. We actually use that pretty routinely, but we use it when we are gluten specifically, and it seems to have a pretty quick effect in just taking care. And can of you just explain it. to people what, what's in, in that? So why that might work, what the mechanism is that helps. Yeah. To be honest, the exact mechanism, I'm not sure it does have fulvic and humic acid in it. And it's basically just a gut, you know, for a broad term, like a gut healer. Um, it just takes care of some of the inflammation that has has occurred um, and to kind of heal up those junctions with, within the gut. And so because we've introduced for us a large level of inflammation in that case, it's going to help to reduce that pretty significantly. And it's the thing that I've found that works the quickest for us, tons of water, lots of rest. So if we have like specific sports on the agenda that day, those are usually gone. But in balance of that, I actually see that exercise is extremely helpful in kind of work, working it out. And uh, um, I don't know if that's an emotional mind connection or the actual physical of working body being moving and working some of those toxins out is probably twofold. But I definitely get us up walking, even though all you want to do is, is lay in bed, usually when that happens due to the level of fatigue. But uh, honestly, a lot of the foundations, back to the foundations, getting out in sunlight, tons and tons of water, lots of rest, basic movement, all the things we really should be doing every day. But those I've just found to be super important. And then there's a few supplements on, on hand that we keep as well. Yeah. I know a lot of people keep things to mop up the toxins as well, like charcoal, activated charcoal and things like that are those, and also enzymes. Like if you know that you've ingested right away, gluten, there are some um, DPP4 enzymes that you can take that will actually help break down the gluten. Is, is those things that you typically utilize? 
I do as an adult, uh, I'll be honest, I haven't used them as much with my children and mostly because I don't know right away for them um, when mm-hmm. they've ingested it or when it's happened. Yeah. Like I said, it, it creeps up later. Um, mm-hmm. For myself, if I was like out to eat and I know I can tell within an hour or two, absolutely. I will go straight to the enzymes. Charcoal as well. We do have that. I actually haven't used it as much from a gluten standpoint as um food poisoning or maybe other situations that I I have, Um, but we do have it in in the cabinet. Um, And I would say some of those I utilize more for myself as an adult um, than I have my children. So before we wrap up, actually, I do want you, I do want to just chat with you um, a little bit about what you do as a pediatric optometrist and vision therapy, because you have mentioned that a couple of times. And I just, I should have asked the time you mentioned it the first time, but just explain to people what that is and what that does for the children that, that need um, some vision therapy. Yeah, absolutely. So You know, pediatric optometry is not a specialty within itself. I always just like to be clear about that, but there are just like any profession, you kind of niche in to certain areas. So there are docs that kind of dedicate to uh, pediatrics and um, that eye exam just looks a little bit different in the amount of tests that are run because you're really looking at, aside from can someone read the 2020 line? um, We want to know how are the eyes working together? How are they moving? What do the movements look like uh, when they're reading? There's a whole host of things um, that can be off there. And it's not, not, not always necessarily an issue with the muscles in the eyes, although it can be. Uh, a lot of times it's the connection between the eyes and the brain. They're actually helping those eyes work together and those can be worked on if necessary uh, through vision therapy. So uh, a lot of times people will explain it like physical therapy for the eyes, except we're not actually working on the strength of the muscle, but that connection between the eyes and the brain to make those movements that maybe aren't automatic to become automatic um, so that they're reading can improve. Um, sometimes people use it for sports performance, even um, outside of just for, for learning difficulties or learning disabilities or anything like that. It's actually um, to have better eye-hand coordination. Um, and so it, it's used pretty common, commonly. So yeah, it's a very, it's much more extensive exam, usually takes closer to an hour with those results. Sometimes we have to break it up into re- repeated exams. And then if therapy is needed, a whole host of things can be worked on from eye movements all the way through visual processing that pathway again looks different for every child that uh, that walks in the doors. It's usually not the same therapy techniques that are used um, based on what's going on, which is really um, an awesome thing about vision therapy because it's really individualized per the, for the, each child. Yeah, I think that's probably a conversation we can have uh, entirely at another time too. I would love to have you back to talk about more about that um, because uh, I always loved talking about different therapies that uh, employ positive neuroplastic change for the kids. And uh, obviously that is that is what you're doing there. But I, like I said, I was remiss to not actually get you to explain that right when you mentioned it earlier because it is such an important piece for so many people that... Um, are here with us today as well. What would you say then? I mean, I think you've you've hit on a lot of points that we hear a lot from parents, but what what would you say to parents that are experiencing some of the things that you experienced right from the beginning where you felt like there was something going on, you weren't being listened to and how you got to the end result of where you were, is there something you would have done differently or is there something that you would recommend to parents that are, are just in that early phase of trying to figure it all out? Yeah, I would say you are your best advocate 
And I would say it over and over again. And if you feel like you're getting answers that everything is fine, you know, blood work is fine, but you and your, your intuition and your gut know something is off, keep searching for answers, whether it means visiting different practitioners, different therapists, like until you, you find the answer to try the holistic, you know, I, and most of your listeners I know are pretty holistic and, and are working towards alternative therapies. Uh, but the people that happen to be listening that just, you know, well, my doctor said, so, um, doctors are great people. I was one, my, you know, one myself, but we don't know everything. No doctor knows everything. Um, and so it's okay to, to keep searching and keep on that journey and to, to be persistent until you found it. And then once you found it, it's okay to be persistent and finding the best therapy for your child. Because again, like you said, it, it's going to be different for everyone. And, um, even what eating gluten-free looks like for my family, you know, we're very to the detail and specific because we have to be, but that may not be for the families whose child is just struggling with ADHD and needs to go on a gluten-free diet. That's going to be honestly more doable and and more attainable um, Mm -hmm. for them. So don't just listen to someone's story and think, don't listen to this and think, wow, that sounds really complicated. I don't think I could do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm here to tell you that it is doable and it is, um, can be very simple steps. It doesn't need to be a complete overhaul and just take bite-sized pieces off at a time. Yeah, that's super um, helpful advice. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to share your story and your journey with your kids because uh, listening to other people's stories, I think is so important. One, so we don't feel so alone as we're going through this, but two, to, to find the hope in every everybody's circumstance and to, to understand that there are um, many reasons why our children um, may be struggling in, in different ways, and but there's lots of opportunity there too for improvement uh, once you find that right um, root cause uh, or multiple root causes and the right treatments and therapies for your child. Thank you again, Kelly. Where can people find you? You are working as an integrated practitioner now as well. I would love for you to share where people could find you if they want to reach out to you and, and uh, fi- find out more about what you do. Yeah, the best place is really through my website, designfamilywellness.com. I am on Instagram, although I'll be honest, it's you'll see lots of pictures of my kids on there. I would love to be more active on there, but just stage of life. Um, I just haven't been able to. So you can reach me through there. Um, you're not going to see a lot of health health stuff on there um, <laughs> at this point through my business, although I'm hoping to get there. Uh, but really through my website, um, but you can reach me through Instagram uh, or even my email. I'm Kelly at designfamilywellness.com. Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure that links to all that are in the show notes so that people can easily get to out to reach you, reach you and get some more great advice. Thank you again for taking the time to share your story with us today. I'm Tara Hunkin. And um, if you too are a parent that would like to share your story on podcast, please reach out to us at info at mychildwillthrive.com. We would love to talk to you and get you on, on the podcast as well so that more parents can hear of different journeys, uh, different experiences, uh, different results, so they can get inspiration for their child too. Thanks again. So that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me this week on My Child Will Thrive. I'm so passionate about giving you the tools and information you need to help your child recover. And as they say, it takes a village. So join us in the My Child Will Thrive Village Facebook group, where you can meet like-minded parents and stay up to date on everything we have going on at My Child Will Thrive. This is Tara Hunkin, and I'll catch you on the next podcast or over at mildchildwillthrive.com.